Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Clubhouse Talk. It is your same old crew here, Joe and Kylie, tonight, getting ready to break down your uh, week two of college football, week one of the NFL. A lot of stuff's going on. Uh, we're excited to be back on this weekly uh, podcast with you guys. So we'll we'll go ahead and uh, we'll, we'll jump pretty quickly into it. We'll start off with how are you doing today, Joe? Doing good. It was a fun weekend. It's good to get, you know, full football back in full force with the NFL getting started up and, and seeing all of that new talent that just came out of college. So we'll, we'll definitely dive into that, but. Yeah, no, um, a lot of stuff going on. Once you start getting into this, this kind of month of the month of the season or month and a half, really from middle of September to the end of October is really a, a, a pretty wild time. You've got college football getting into full swing, NFL football, baseball starts getting into stretch drive really you can't beat it no I mean we talked about it earlier this week it's probably the best time of the year for sports you know it, it's if you're a baseball fan you got playoff baseball right around the corner and you know anybody who likes football you know you know why this is one of the best times of the year so it's it's just been great I went to two Braves games this weekend as well so it's it's just I was in hog heaven Lucky you! You went to two Braves games. I got to go to the Tennessee game, so we're we're getting our sports fills in. But tell you what, when you go to football games, you miss the entire day. But that's all right. I'll I'll take going to the games every single time. So, but uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Let's go ahead and jump right on right on in into some recaps of. We'll go ahead and start with college, and uh, and we'll start off with the Ohio State Oregon game. Uh, Ohio or Oregon comes in and knocks off Ohio State at Ohio State. Pretty shocking upset there. What, what were your thoughts? You know, honestly, I, I don't think I was as shocked about this game as most of the country. Like that, after following Ohio State, obviously, as closely as I have my whole life, this team is just not the same. There's no defensive prowess whatsoever. Um, they ha- I mean, they definitely have playmakers on offense, but it doesn't matter if you never have the ball. And they gave up a big running game at Minnesota in week one, and – it was just more of the same this week against Oregon with better athletes. And they're, they're just not going to beat teams that have that, that a plus quality of athlete like Oregon does with what they have on the field right now. I mean, they, they're lucky. They only gave up 35 points in my opinion, because that, that game was far more one-sided than I think the score felt. Yeah. I mean, from, I, I didn't get to see the game. It was on at the same time as the Tennessee game. So I didn't get to see any of it. Um, saw the highlights. It looked like it was, Pretty well, pure domination. I guess the only reason I'm really surprised is Oregon was without their best player in Thibodeau, and and they lost one of their other best players in the game. So it was a little bit surprising in that. But there's there's no doubt that Oregon had the talent to be able to come in there and compete. And and good on Mario Cristobal. I mean, this is one of the biggest wins for the Pac-12 in a long time. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was. And, and not only beating Ohio State, but beating them in the horseshoe, like you mentioned, which is one of the toughest places to play in the country. And uh yeah, Ohio State's going to have to figure it out. Luck, you know, luckily, most of their schedule is not too difficult, but when they're getting in the latter part of the year in the Big Ten games and always playing Michigan, which even though Michigan you know, isn't what they used to be, it's always tough. But that's uh, that's not your typical Ohio State team, so they got to work through some stuff. Yeah, um, you pretty much lost your uh, your one free – you know, you lost your Mulligan for the year early. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really tough. They've got to go scot-free if they want to be able to make the playoffs the rest of the year. Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, and looking at a game that was too close to two upsets was Notre Dame and A&M. Notre Dame at home against Toledo. Uh, A&M on the road at Colorado. Not a very good Colorado team. 
Um, both teams needing uh, touchdowns very, very late in their game to to be able to, to hold off an upset. I just are you surprised? You know, what are your thoughts on on those two teams barely surviving? Uh, I didn't catch any of the A&M game, but I did watch, you know, the majority of the Notre Dame game. Kind of the same boat as Ohio State. That team just is not the same as is what they certainly what they were last year. Um, they're decent on offense. Their defense is just a little rusty. It's just like they it to me, Notre Dame looks like they have a path more so than Ohio State. Because I think it's just so many new characters that they're trying to mesh it all together. And um, I think that Toledo just got hot early and Notre Dame was trying to scratch and claw its way back. It was kind of a perfect recipe there. You had the big emotional game on Sunday night with Florida State. Then you have a short week and you go home to kind of a a lower tier tier team and you come out and you play a little sloppy and you give them, you give them enough hope early and they do what any team does and they get belief. Yeah. I mean, it, when you have a team like Notre Dame, you know, everybody's trying to knock them off. They can't afford to really look over anybody. And while, you know, it's a relatively insignificant game to those Notre Dame players, if Toledo goes out there and wins, I mean, they're hometown heroes for, you know, eternity. Yeah. And it's the same thing that Bama faces every week when they do it. They just tend to hold off teams a little bit better. Yeah, well, Bama doesn't tend to get down at any point um, either. But, I mean, you're right. When you're top team, when you're top 10 team, you're getting everybody's best shot every single week. You have that target on your back. So you've got to be able to – you've got to come out every single week ready to uh, ready to roll because you know that you're getting the other team's best. It's You can't sleepwalk through games. No, definitely not. And, I mean – uh, hats off to Toledo because they played a great football game. I mean, they, they really played fairly flawless until the end of the game. They started giving up some lazy penalties, which ultimately cost them the game. Pretty incredible fact there at the end of that Notre Dame game was uh, Jack Cohn uh, actually dislocated his finger right before he threw the game, went, and touchdown, went over to the sideline. They popped his middle finger back in. He comes in, slings a touchdown pass, and then on a pretty important two-point conversion because it put him up one, the touchdown did the two point conversion put them up by would put them up by a field goal, and they did their version of the Philly special. And Jack Cohn was supposed to catch the ball, so not only was he supposed to throw the touchdown pass, and they're like, "All right, I know you just dislocated your finger, but go catch it." And then he ended up getting covered, and they threw it to somebody else. But just a just a wild, wild little tidbit there at the end of that game. Yeah, I mean, it it was cool to watch in real time. It was kind of like one of those Kobe esque things where like Kobe walk off the court, get his fingers pop back in, just walk back out there. So, but, you know, not a whole lot of uh, – I'm glad we got those two games out of the early, out early because not a whole lot to cheer about for my football weekend. Yeah, there's, uh, there's no such thing as a, as a bad win in September, but there are certainly bad losses. So, A&M and uh, Notre Dame did what you needed to do, which was be able to come out on top and just survive in advance. Um, moving on to what was one of the biggest games of the weekend, which was Iowa State and Iowa – um, and Iowa continues their dominance in the Cyhawks series, and they go in and they absolutely roll Iowa State at Iowa State. And Iowa has kind of been the darling team for two weeks. Now you go in and you knock off the hyped-up Indiana, then you come in, you knock off hyped-up Iowa State. I mean, they, they've been crushing dreams, and all of a sudden Iowa's look with what Ohio State just did. I, I mean, they're arguing for should they be favorites in the Big Ten right now? They're certainly making a hell of a case for it. I mean, I don't know who else you would put above them. I mean, I guess you could say Penn State. Penn State and Iowa are probably your two teams in the Big Ten right now. But, yeah, Iowa looks like a special team. Um, 
So I, I certainly wouldn't count them out because, you know, we talked about last week, Iowa State got off to a slow start, but still probably a pretty decent football team. And Iowa definitely, you know, made it look pretty foolish. Yeah, Iowa is a vintage Iowa team, run first, absolutely just line up, smash mouth football. Um, I don't know if they have the offense to put up with a lot of high-flying teams, but, boy, do they control the clock, and do they going to be a menace for truly any team that they play because of how physical they are. Nobody wants to play that type of team anymore in football because not a lot of teams are built to defend that. They're built, they're built to defend the outside, the spread, the speed, everything else. You're not meant to line up eight men in the box, play after play after play. No, I mean, it, I'm, I'm interested to see how that old school power would match up against like one of the top SEC teams with like, you know, all the speed. Um, I think you kind of the way the game is played today, speed sort of beats power. Um, but, you know, I, again, I'd be interested to see it. Yeah, we'll, we'll see where, where Iowa's darling season kind of keeps going and see if Iowa State can, can bounce away back. Clearly, it's not a conference loss. So the Big 12 is uh, – title is still up for grabs for them, still absolutely in, you know, in their own destiny. And at the end of the year, if Iowa's as good as we think they are, this won't be – this won't be a season-ending type of win for them. They still got a lot to play for. Yeah. Um, looking, looking elsewhere around the country, you had Arkansas – absolutely trouncing Texas, which I think is truly a surprise to both of us after how well Texas uh, played against Louisiana. And, and they did the same thing to Louisiana as really Arkansas did that did to them. And this game was never close. No, I mean, welcome to the SEC. <laughs> you think they're a little worried looking down the road, but I mean, I, I don't know a whole lot about Arkansas's team, to be honest. Maybe they're having you know, somewhat of a resurgence here, but they manhandled Texas. And, and like you said, you know, we thought Texas was a decent football team, but maybe not. <laughs> I mean, they were a top 15 team coming into the game. They looked really good against, like I said, a solid Louisiana team. That's probably a top 25, top 30 type of team. And they manhandled them in week one. And then they go to Arkansas, who is, I'd say, a middle of the road type of SEC team. And they get absolutely pummeled the entire game. Um, they've got a new quarterback in there and I'll tell you what Sam Pittman's doing. He's making every single coach in the SEC's life, new coach in the SEC's life, a living hell because he has gone in in two years when he had absolutely nothing, when he was given, uh, given the keys two years ago at Arkansas and he's had a COVID year and two games into it this year. And he has absolutely already turned around that program. So a lot of new coaches are going to be getting not a lot of patience in the SEC because everyone's going to point to Arkansas and be like, see, he turned it around. You've got no well, – I'm not giving you three years now. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the marquee win that Arkansas has probably had since freaking Darren McFadden was there. To be It's been a long time. Honest. I mean, their, their fans rushed the field. I mean, that place was rocking and rolling the whole night. Um, a really cool stripe out there in Fayetteville. And their fans rushed the field. If you, if you go on uh, Twitter, I think Barstool maybe was the one who posted. There's a really cool video of Sam Pittman's there with a uh, – with a sheriff as the game clock's about to end and he's talking to him. He's like, yeah, we're going to have to just let them rush the field. We don't want to, we don't want to hold the fans back and get anybody hurt. And Pittman's like, oh, no, it's okay. I'm all good with it. And he's like, well, you know, they're going to take down the goalpost. Yeah, it's all good. You're going to get fine. We'll take the fine. The, the fans need this. So, I mean, it was just a kind of a cool down home moment. It's, it's hard not to love the guy with the way he talks about it. And he just, he's happy to be the head coach. Of Arkansas. Yeah. Gotta love it. 
Gotta love so, it. Yeah, welcome to the SEC. I think, like you said, Texas fans might be uh, might be dreading that here in a few years because let me tell you, if you thought that was bad, Texas, once you get in the SEC, you start facing that week over week <laughs> over week. And better. Yeah. And, and significantly better. <laughs> yeah, Arkansas is not the top of the top of the class in the SEC. I can promise you that. No. Um, look, next up, you had definitely the upset of the day, which was uh, Jacksonville State going in and absolutely stunning Florida State with, I can't even call it a Hail Mary because it was a really just a last second throw, trying to get into field goal range, clock runs out on the play, and the guy ends up scoring as, as time expires. And it was just, it was really a befuddling moment. Florida State's up 10 with nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and they had it first and goal to three, and they don't score, and they lose the game. Yeah, I mean, talk about a nightmare scenario. I mean, Florida State was a field goal away, essentially, from beating Notre Dame last week, a top-10 team, and then they turn around the next week and lose to Jacksonville State on, on a shortened schedule. But, my goodness, I mean, if – if you take a second, think about the composition of these teams, Florida state probably gets the, all the best athletes from the state of Florida, you know, Florida and Florida state probably swap them. Jacksonville state probably gets a handful of the guys that are left off that list. So imagine how good that feels to those guys to go in there and beat the dudes who were always, you know, kind of a step ahead of them playing high school ball. Oh yeah. It's, it's a huge deal for them. I mean, that's, that that is the type of win that that program will hold for itself going to FSU and winning. They will hold on to that for a long, long time because you just, you don't get those type of opportunities. And it was just, it was really wild. I actually caught the last play live. I was flipping, I was looking at my phone, flipping through games and I pulled up the ESPN app. It was late on Saturday night and I looked over and I was like, huh, the FSU game, Jacksonville state games kind of close. I'll, uh, I'll turn it over to that. See that game, man. And literally just in time to watch basically the last drive for Jacksonville state looked like absolutely nothing was going to happen and six seconds left and they were on their own 40 yard line and an inexplicable play call to, to basically run cover one on when everyone in, I think anyone that's ever played NCAA 14 or Madden knows that it's prevent time with six seconds left. And cause the only thing the other team <laughs> has to do is run four verts. And that's what they ran was four verts and you had a safety in a corner and neither one of them could bring the receiver down. And, uh, Huge, huge marquee win, and just like you said, disaster for Florida State. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of the last big game, surprising result type of thing from from college this weekend was uh, Stanford throttling USC, which then very quickly today led to the firing of Clay Helton. Um, he's been on the hot seat there really for the last three, four seasons, just kind of escaping a year over year, winning one one more game that he needs to, to be able to keep his, keep his thing, uh, keep his seat there. And all of a sudden, you know, after this throttling um, from Stanford, who by the way, didn't even look like they belonged on the field as Kansas state week one. Uh, they went ahead and canned Clay Helm already this year. Yeah. I mean, it, it like you said, this is no surprise. This has been kind of a, a long time coming. Um, USC and Florida state are kind of both in that, that same of historic programs with good talent that just can't seem to win football games. And, uh, you know, they they probably needed to just to cut bait. They'll have the whole season to, to see if they want to you know, keep Dante Williams as their head coach or, or evaluate who else is out there. So it kind of extended that timeline for them. But, yeah, I mean, that's – it pretty much has continued the, since Pete Carroll left 
USC, they've been trying to find something. Yeah, at this point, it was after the loss, it was absolutely inevitable. And so um, there's no point in holding on to it. I mean, there's no reason to hold to hold on to play Helton and give him a chance to really save his job. Um, if you hold on to him, that's the only thing that can happen at this point if you have him for another five or six weeks. So he can't get on that losing streak now. It's over with. They've cut bait. And I'm sure the, the list that USC will start with will be a whole bunch of big names because USC – is very proud of themselves as a program and they're a big name. I don't know if they're going to get a big name, but I guarantee you the first names you will hear will be the likes of a Matt Campbell, uh, Mario Cristobal from Oregon, um, James Franklin, these type of names is, is at least who you'll probably see pop up. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. They're going to get somebody big to at least be on. I don't know if they'll close on it, but at least on their radar. Hey, maybe oh, yeah. Lane Kiffin will go back there. That would be <laughs> – it will not happen. I promise you Lane Kiffin will get an extension or get a raise out of this, absolutely. But the the absolute just, like, come full circle if if Kiffin were to actually get hired and go back there would be, would be pretty wild. It won't happen, but it would be insane. It would be a very Lane Kiffin move. It would – in certain ways, it absolutely would. But I think he's enjoying his time at at, uh, at Ole Miss. And like I said, he'll get himself a nice little pretty success. Um, we'll turn it on over to the NFL here uh, quickly and kind of run through some of the what I thought was the more surprising results or more telling results from week one in the NFL. We'll start on Thursday night football, the first game of the year, and the Bucks hold on to over the Cowboys, uh, beating them in, a, at, frankly, an absolute thriller. Yeah, I mean, great way to start off the season. Dak came back from his ankle injury and didn't look like he missed a step. I mean, he he lit it up. I, I felt both teams played a good football game, and and I think the Bucks are probably a top three team in the NFL. Um, but yeah, the Cowboys look good. I mean, even though in a loss to to go on the road to Tampa in the first game of the season you know, against Tom Brady and and be pretty much a possession away from winning, I was impressed. Yeah, I mean, Tom Brady did what Tom Brady does and led a game-winning drive um, at the end of the game to get a field goal to win it for him. But you said that Dak, Dak looked amazing. Um, looked like the exact Dak that we remember before the injury that you want to see. And if that's the Cowboys team that's going to show up, I mean, Amari Cooper looked fantastic. Zeke didn't have a good day, but I think that's because the Bucks didn't want to let Zeke run. And they were without their best guard in Zach Martin. I mean, so it's going to get better for them running the ball. That's not going to be an issue going forward, I think. So uh, I was surprised with how well Dallas hung in that game. I really thought the Bucs were, were going to be able to kind of hold on and dominate it. And the Cowboys just kept answering every single time. Yeah, I mean, that was a really good back-and-forth battle. Good, Just all-around good football. I mean, you, you hit it on the head. I think if the Cowboys could have established a little bit more of a run game, they'd probably win that game. But I think just the way that it played out being sort of that a shootout in NFL terms, they were hesitant. Hey, it was the last team that had – And why take the ball out of Dak's hands, obviously. Well, the way he was throwing – If he's playing that well. Right. If he's slinging it around like that, you've got you've to ride your hot hand. So it was one of those where the last, last QB who had the ball won – and um, so both teams, the Bucks did have their fair share of mistakes, but they 
they were able to hold on to it. So I think you're right, though, that the Bucks after week one have definitely shown that they're going to be right back up for the top teams in the NFL. Um, looking ahead, you had the Steelers. Now you get into Sunday, and you had the Steelers go on the road to Buffalo and cut, have a 10-point comeback in the fourth quarter. This was honestly, I think, one of the most surprising, if not the most surprising result of the entire weekend to me. Not that I didn't expect the Steelers to be good, but I thought the Bills were going to be a whole lot better. And to be and to be beat week one when you have a 10-point lead in the fourth, this is the type of game you got to hold on to. you got to win if you want to be a top type of tier team in the AFC. Yeah, I was definitely surprised at this one. I mean, I, I don't think the Steelers will ever really be a bad team as long as they have Mike Tomlin. But, um, I mean, this just shows you got to have – if you have a strong front four – it's hard to beat you. And that, that's pretty much what happened all games. They just controlled the line of scrimmage and made it a nightmare for Josh Allen. And then they were able to, like you said, put up some points late in the game to, to pull off the win. But that was a, that was a little bit surprising. I mean, not, I wouldn't say it was the most surprising game of the week for me personally, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later, but um, definitely if I were to, to pick a game before then, I would have been pretty comfortable taking the bills. Yeah, um, there's definitely some surprising results. I guess it's just kind of where, where I thought teams were stacking up because I really thought the Bills had a chance to challenge not just the uh, not just the Chiefs for the AFC Championship, but I mean, I I genuinely thought the Bills had a roster that they could, could beat for some special. I'm not saying they can't by losing the first game, but yeah, I mean it. it, it it's, it's just one of those eye opening. Yeah, it's an eye opening thing of like, oh well, maybe I need to take a step back on them. You don't want to overreact week one. No, I mean week one in the NFL is. I mean, it, it's fun. You put a lot on it just because it's the first week of the season. But in the grand scheme of things, it's very insignificant. Okay. The Bucks lost 38-3 to first game of the year last year to the Saints. And look on what happened to them. So mm-hmm. it clearly can get a whole lot better. Uh, looking over at another 1 o'clock game, the Cardinals going into Tennessee and throttling the Titans on the road. 38-13, uh, to 13. this game was – was just an absolute route from the beginning. I think they went up 17 to nothing um, before you could really even blink. It was a huge game, a huge crowd there for the Titans. Really, really a lot of hype coming into the season. And not that the Cardinals were supposed to be a bad team, but I definitely think a lot of people thought the Titans were a better team on paper coming into this. Derrick Henry never got going. And Kyler Murray looked like he was playing Madden football running around. Yeah, I think the um, I think the Cardinals are definitely a team to keep your eye on this year. I mean, Kyler Murray's entering his – his third season, uh, he's got DeAndre Hopkins, and then he's got also AJ Green as well. Um, so that's a, that's a team with a lot of weapons that can definitely, you know, turn your head a little bit and get your attention. Because I don't think the Titans are a very bad team at all. Um, I think the problem with the Titans, as Cardinals kind of showed, is if you can stop the run game, you effectively stop their offense as a whole. So that's something that Vrabel will have to figure out going forward or just figure out a way to get Derrick Henry more involved in the game if he's not going to be running the ball nonstop. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really tough thing for him, and we've seen this happen before. When the Titans get down 17, you, they lose their best weapon, which is Henry, because you, you can't keep running the ball when you're down 17 in the second half. Um, so I don't know if they've got to find a way to use the passing game to open up the running game first, but when teams start putting eight men in the box, it's hard to run. I don't care who you are. And then at that point, you've got to be able to prove that you can throw the ball efficiently. And they were not able to do so. Julio Jones didn't look good. 
Um, AJ Brown got off to a really slow start for him, and and Tannehill was getting sacked pretty much. It really didn't have much of a chance to throw the ball early because he was getting put on. He was again put on his rear end three seconds back into every drop because Chandler Jones was just running right by Taylor Wan the whole game. Yeah, I mean that that was just a a tough game for the Titans in general. I mean they they gave up a lot of points. They couldn't score any. They were just kind of getting abused the whole time. And uh, Vrabel did not mince words when talking about it after the game. So they they know what needs to be done. They know that it was not a pre-showing. Um, I I am really curious to see how the Titans bounce back. Uh, this week, which we can talk about, talk about a little bit later as well. Um, then you look at the 4.30 time slot, and you had two games going on at the same time. Uh, you had the Chiefs and the Browns in an absolute thriller of the AFC championship game rematch from last year, uh, or divisional game last year, uh, when the Chiefs barely held on to beat the Browns with a furious Browns comeback. But then the Browns come out this game and get off to a huge lead early. And the Chiefs make the uh, furious comeback this time, and they do be able. And they were able to pull it off just enough, and uh, it went by four, thirty-three to twenty-nine. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, if if it was any team other than the Chiefs, I'd be a little bit more surprised. But definitely a great game. I mean, it it also not only does it show that the Chiefs have that that firepower to come back, but it also shows that the Browns are for real again. Um, and, and kind of taking it to a, a very good team early on. Granted, they, they couldn't finish it off, um, but they had an opportunity to knock off probably. I mean, I, I still stand by what I said pretty much all season last year. I think the Chiefs, until proven otherwise, are the number one team in the NFL. I mean, granted, they, they lost the Super Bowl, whatever, but I, I think that's the best team in and that'll be the team to beat again this year. So the Browns were definitely competitive with them. The, the Chiefs are that team that you look at in the NFL that it used to be the Patriots with Tom Brady. One of those things where if you go on the road and you can beat them, or really when you just face them in general, and you can beat the Patriots, when Brady was there, it was like, oh boy, like this team is for real. They can do things this year. And yes, the Browns lost, but I honestly think we learned a lot more about the Browns in that game than we did about the Chiefs. The Chiefs just confirmed what we knew, which is that Patrick Mahomes does what Patrick Mahomes will always do, and he's never out of a game. But Baker Mayfield, up until the very last drive, and really it wasn't much of his fault. He's trying to throw it away on that last or on that pick that sealed the game. He was trying to throw the ball away and got hit as he threw it, wasn't able to get enough on it to get it out of bounds. But Baker was absolutely fantastic in that game. It is one of the best games he's put together. Yeah, I mean, it probably was the best best of his career. I mean, he, he's continued to develop and he's in my opinion, I think he's a real deal starting quarterback in the NFL and he he's not flashy with his, his skill set, but he just, he's got a will to win. He's made better and better decisions as, as his career's progressed. And um, I think once he really settles into that role, the Browns are going to be dangerous with all the weapons they have. I mean, and OBJ's not even back yet. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't even play, so they still got another weapon to come back. Um, but me and you have always been so high on Baker. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of other people haven't. And I think that Baker being in year two of the system finally, and it's not another new new system for him to learn in an offseason, shows how much development he can put together. I mean, it's kind of one of those where you see a rookie have a really good year. Do they get better in the second year, drop off? It's This is Baker's kind of sophomore year, and doesn't look like he's in for a sophomore slump with this new system. No, I mean – the system they had for him under Freddie Kitchens was probably the least fitting 
system any quarterback's ever had. And outside of that stretch, he's he's looked like a good NFL starting quarterback. Yeah. So I think the Browns are an absolute, you know, kind of watch it. You they might have some seriously brewing because they are they are so talented all the way across the board, offense, defense, special teams everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the other 430 game, which I know this one's not going to be too much fun for you to talk about, uh, which is the Saints, just pure domination of the Packers. Um, Aaron Rodgers looked like someone who had been more focused on his golf game all season, all season instead of the preseason, and they got trounced by the Saints 38-3. to uh, Just take it away. You know, I <laughs> that that was the worst um, regular season game since Aaron Rodgers has been in the league that he's started in, and honestly, it was the wake up call that was needed because he he needed the world to show him that it, it's it's not his oyster and he has to still try it to compete. and And honestly, hats off to New Orleans for being the team to do it because Jameis Winston showed everybody that he's still an unbelievable talent when given the right opportunity and given the tutelage. Um, so I think the saints have made their decision, um, you know, a good one in, in picking Jameis Winston to be the starter over Taysom Hill. I mean, he, he was scrambling from the pocket. He was throwing the ball downfield. Um, he was making better decisions with the ball in hand and, and it shows, I mean, you beat a very good team 38 to three. And um, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think Green Bay is the team that they were last season. I think that they're still going to be a good team, and but um, they they've got some work to do because they didn't look very good on either side of the football. Yeah, um, there there just was there really was no good there. Um, I think a lot of people forget. I mean, Jameis won a Heisman. He won a national championship. He won a Heisman Trophy. The the guy is immensely talented. Yeah, he threw thirty picks in thirty seasons in his last year there at, um, in Tampa Bay, but throwing for 30 touchdowns is no easy feat. So he gets into a great system. What looks like it's going to be a great system for there in New Orleans, who, by the way, is playing without their best receiver, Michael Thomas. And they look like they, they look like the saints of old when Drew Brees was in his prime um, mm-hmm. of that's what that offense looked like. It looked like a pure Sean Payton, hard defense and absolutely just slinging the ball over the place. Yeah, moving the ball down the field with efficiency. Um, I mean, like you just said, stout defense. They made some moves and, and strengthened their secondary, which was their their big weakness. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Saints, as they've been the last four or five years, are going to be another tough team to beat in the NFC. Um, I mean, the the whole NFC East lost – or NFC North lost, so it, it, it doesn't really hurt the Packers in any way. It's just, you know – They've got to figure that out because that – I don't know if that was an attitude problem where they went in and just assumed that they were going to beat the Saints, uh, which would be a naive assumption to begin with because the Saints are a very good football team or if it's just they've, they're allowing the off-season theatrics to spill over onto the football field. Yeah, I think it was just a lot of, a lot of bad things all culminating at the same time, and this is what we get with it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, then really the last the last game because Monday night football is just about to start here as we're recording on Monday night this week uh, is you had the Rams they looked really really strong uh, with Stafford at the helm they looked they looked really dominant there in that in that first game against the Bears I, mean, I know it's the Bears but yeah they looked good I mean it 
it's what I, I exactly expected would happen. I have always been high on Matt Stafford. I think he's the most underrated player in the NFL, frankly. And he went in there in a real system with real players, and he absolutely flamethrowed it. That was the best QBR that he's ever had in his career. Um, I mean, it, it's it's a Sean McVay team with a, a quarterback that's not just a game manager, but also a, a special talent. I mean, that, that first t- touchdown pass he threw was an absolute missile right into – the pocket. I mean, it was beautiful. So that that's probably the best team in the NFC. I would say, in my opinion, right now. Um, yeah. After week one, I it's it's hard to disagree with that. I mean, there's that defensive line is beyond stacked and talented. You have Aaron Donald coming at you, which is always going to keep you in any type of football game. I don't I don't care who the other offense is. And Matt Stafford is proving that he's just been given absolutely nothing the last his entire career there really in Detroit. And now it's like Christmas for him. I mean, he's in, he's in his absolute just happy place there in McVay's offense and actually getting to sling it around to, to people who are real, you know, real talents around them. Yeah. I mean, you look at what he had at Detroit since Calvin Johnson retired. I mean, he, he had Kenny Galladay. He had, uh, you know, Golden Tate, but that's, that's really it. I mean, he didn't have coaches. He didn't have really an effective backfield with him. I mean, it. I, I'm honestly genuinely happy for the guy. I, I hope it works out for him there because I think he's in a great situation. I'm with you there. Um, it's it's going to be really cool to be able to see what type of numbers he can put up. Um, mm-hmm. What a lot of people say is he's a Hall of Famer, and I think if he starts putting up some real numbers, that people will uh, agree with him. Yeah, I mean, I know we, we've spent a lot of time on this. We're going to kick it off to looking forward. But he uh, he spent the prime of his career at an organization that gave him absolutely nothing. So he he deserves to be able to at least make a deep run in the playoff and, and prove to everybody who thinks that Detroit was bad because of him that, that he's the only reason Detroit ever won anything. And I'm right there with you. So we'll, we'll kick it off, like you said, to go and going forward to week, week two of the NFL and week three of college football. And we'll just kind of give a little bit of previews um, and do some quick picks on the games. So we'll start off with Nebraska and Oklahoma. I don't think we need to spend too much time on this one. The, it's a noteworthy game because it is the 50th anniversary of the game of the century. Um, this kicks off at, at noon on Fox. Oklahoma is a big favorite at home. I, I think we both have a feeling here that uh, Oklahoma is the choice. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely Oklahoma, unless they have another two-lane situation, but I don't think Lightning's going to strike twice on this one. This this would be an absolute job, job-saving job type of win, though. Scott, if Scott Frost can go in there and, and make this competitive, this would be a really big deal. I, I think if Nebraska could go in there and lose. I'm, I'm with you. If they could keep this game going into the fourth quarter, and I say keeping it a game by being within two scores going into the fourth, I think that's a win for Nebraska in this case. So mm-hmm. I'm with you. So we'll move on to the to the next game. Now we start getting a little bit more important games. Um, Cincinnati and at Indiana at noon is a really interesting game for me. Cincinnati is trying to make a bid for a playoff, and frankly, with a lot of teams losing, Clemson's lost already. Ohio State's lost. Uh, I mean, who knows what could happen, but since he is trying to make their vibe for a, for a playoff, and this is a really good opportunity to get a win for one, uh, to start trying to stack up that resume. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely is. I think it, 
it would certainly help that they're playing a power five team. Um, but on the other side of the, the coin, it'll, it'll show us more of where Indiana's at this year. I mean, they, they lost to a good Iowa team last week, which I think they proved isn't really a, you know, a, a giveaway loss. Um, so if Indiana can respond and beat Cincinnati, which is probably the best non-power five team, I would say, I don't, I don't really know where everyone else is stacking up this year, but assumingly so, um, I think that would get Indiana's schedule right back on, on track. Yeah. I mean, very quickly, we look from, you look at that first game of Indiana and you go, all right, that's not really as um, embarrassing of a loss as we first thought with Iowa. And so it's a good chance for them, like you said, to get their season back on track and a really, a really big game for them to knock off a top 10 team at home. So I've got Cincy in this game though. I think that since he's got enough talent, they proved it last year. They beat, they beat Georgia. Um, in their playoff or in, in their bowl game, I think that they've got more than enough to be able to get this done. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so. I agree. You like Cincy? Uh, I, I think probably Cincy. I, I just haven't seen enough out of Indiana. And I, I think Luke Fickle is one of the better coaches in the country. All right. Got two picks in for Cincy. Next up, we've got Michigan State and Miami. This is a interesting game. Spartans um, have come off a lot stronger than a lot of people expected. Miami uh, obviously got trounced by Bama. They get their uh, mojo back a little bit in a close game against a hard-fought, um, a hard-fought game against a good App State team. And so th- this is just an interesting one for me. I don't. I really don't know where I want to go with this one. I'm probably just going to go with Miami because it's at home, but this could be a really interesting win and show a lot more depth to the Big Ten if Michigan State can go in there and knock off Miami, who the ACC has not looked good overall. Yeah, I mean, I'd actually – I'd kind of go the other way with you. I think Miami's one of those teams that's just painfully overrated every year until I'm proved otherwise I'm going to pick against them. Um, I mean, the road deal does help coming down from Michigan State, but Michigan State looked pretty strong so far this season as opposed to what they have the last couple of years. So I think that's going to be a closer game than a lot of people think. So I'm going to take Michigan state. I think it could be a close game. I, I guess I'm just giving the nod to them, but uh, with the better quarterback playing Derek King, but you're right. I mean, my, uh, Miami is, is one of those teams that they get the benefit of the doubt because of their logo on their helmet and they get that ranking outside their name because the logo on their helmet, people just assume they are going to be good. And it's, it's tough when that's the case. So, Yeah, it, 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 I just – I don't – I don't understand why college football has, like, this tendency to always, like, be retroactive when they look at teams. Like, I think Texas is very su- subject to it, and I think certainly Miami. But, like, we – because they have had decent recruiting classes, it's like, okay, they're going to be good this year. They're going to be good this year. This year they turn around. But there's, there's just none of it. it it just it's the same song and dance every single season, but I, that's just how it feels to me, at least. Until I'm proven otherwise, I'll think the same. I think Tennessee's the same way. I mean, if Tennessee had won this weekend against Pitt and then go in and win against Tennessee Tech, there's no doubt in my mind that Tennessee would have been right going into the NBA's for two weeks. One, oh, yeah, one because of the matchup, and two just because they would have had their name Tennessee being three and up. Not that they beat anybody or that they would deserve to be a tw- top 25 team, but just based off you're going to want to put that ranking next to somebody's name because of TV rankings, and Miami will get the benefit of the doubt. Yep. 
So we do disagree on it, but we both disagree that Miami is not not the number 24 team in the country. So uh, looking ahead in the 330 kick on CBS, you've got Bama at Florida. Does Florida have a chance? I think Florida has as good a chance as any other team in the country does this season. I I think if you look at a talent perspective, um, you know, Florida's got it. It's just uh, – Bama's just really good this year, I think. I, I just think – I mean, we'll take this into account. When was the last time that you saw a number one versus number 11 or another top 15 team beat a 15-and-a-half point spread? I mean, it, that just to me is crazy. No, you're right. It, and it, they just look good. I, I can't – I can't say that Florida doesn't have a chance, but I will say that they don't have a very good one. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think that they keep this game within 17. Um, Florida's still trying to figure out who they're going to play at quarterback. I, I had no clue how this is going to go, but I don't like Florida's chances in this game because I think that Steve is going to do what he always does, which is go in and get his team up early and not leave any bit of doubt because the last thing he wants to do in the, in the swamp is to get out, is have Florida hang around at halftime. And those fans in that crowd starts to think that they have a chance. And if that crowd can stay into it, I think that that's what Florida needs. So they're, the only way they get into this is if Bama turns the ball over uncharacteristically. That's what's going to have to happen. There's going to be special team blunders or turnovers from Bama, uncharacteristic mistakes. And then if it's a game, one score game and going into the fourth quarter, then you never know what what can happen from that. Yep. I think that that's what it's going to have to be. They're going to have to come out. They're going to have to get up up early and and keep that crowd engaged because if they don't and you get down to a quick, you know, 14-3 deficit, you're probably looking at the team's heels the whole game. Exactly. So – uh, next up, you've got a whiteout at Penn. This is where game day is going this week. It's Auburn at Penn State, 7.30 p.m. kick. Uh, this ought to be a really fun game to see where both teams stack up. Obviously, uh, Penn State had the really big win week one against Wisconsin, and Auburn has had a high-flying power offense against two really terrible teams. It's just a really good really good stacking. Uh, you know, see where the – see where these teams stack up against true competition. I think this, this to me is the game I'm most excited about this weekend. I think, I think Penn state's very good. And I think this could be one of those like one in four years where Auburn's actually got a really good team. And then they kind of aren't good (laughs) next three. I think, I mean, they haven't played anybody, but you got Bo Nix. Who's now kind of like a veteran of college football. Um, Is he third season as the starter Uh, going on the road against a big, big 10 name in a really hostile environment. I think this is going to be an absolute blast to watch. I actually think that Auburn's going to win this game, but I think it's going to be like nail biter. I've got Penn state at home um, winning this game, but I do agree that this is going, this should be a thriller. Um, It should be high scoring. It it should be a super fun atmosphere crowd being really into it. Um, Just, but Hey, to, for a little point for your side, um, Auburn has the highest scoring offense right now in the FBS um, of all teams, just based like on the competition hasn't been very out. But, hey, they've scored the most points. Bo Nix has looked fantastic. And if they can continue to put up 30, 40 points a game and they can do it against true competition, then truly watch out in the SEC West. 
So I saw a very interesting thing on Twitter and I, I can't remember the name of it. And we'll, we might have to put this out on social media, but it's, it's a metric that discounts, you know, any preseason ranking. And it has like just stats from you know week one and week two broken down metrics and like strength of schedule or strength of team is like put in there, strength of schedule, all these little factors in Auburn by those metrics would be the best team in the country. Really? Yeah. I mean, obviously offense and like points for and against are a big factor into it. Yeah. So playing two cupcake teams definitely helped them, but that that's what they said. I, mean, I would assume that those type of metrics are also going to take into account uh, the competition they're playing against and, and help that way. But even if playing cupcakes, that's a, that's a really interesting metric and a really interesting uh, stat there. But, I mean, I can see it like they, they've looked great. I, you cannot deny that they have looked fantastic. So big time type of game for Brian Harson in his first real game. And then you've got obviously James Franklin looking to cement Penn State there is one of those top 10 uh, top teams in the big 10. It's going to be really interesting to look at before we keep going and I, We'll move on to other games, but I do want to put this out there. Looking at the SEC West this year, you've got Bama obviously at the top, and then you look at the rest of it. Mississippi State beats NC State pretty handily. Arkansas trounces Texas. Ole Miss is 2-0, and they look really good. Yeah, LSU lost to UCLA, but they're still a talented team. Uh, I, there are a lot of – A&M is obviously a good team. Somebody's going to finish seventh place in the SEC West this season. And they are going to be a really good football team. Yes, they are. <laughs> Deep <laughs> division, like just half a division looking at that um, by itself. I, I'm, I'm going to be blown away by whoever finishes last. It could be LSU <laughs> at this point. And, and I wouldn't be that surprised. It's going to be interesting to see where that plays out. But at the end of the year, you're going to look at whoever finishes in last place and be like, you know what? That's still a really good football team. I mean, I'm with you. There's there's really not a bad team in the bunch. I mean, LSU's, you know, you put LSU in the Big Ten or the ACC, probably not going to win or probably not going to lose more than three or four games. Put them in the exactly. SEC West, they might lose six. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty crazy. Um, you, the last game for college of, of the good slate this weekend is you've got a ranked matchup, ranked matchup between Arizona State and BYU. It's going to be a 10-30 kick. And that game – I think that's going to be really interesting just because Arizona State's starting to look really good with uh, Herm Edwards at the helm. BYU's coming off a really big win against Utah, their first win against Utah in a long, long time. So it's just one of those going to be a Pac-12 after dark. I know BYU's not a Pac-12 team, but it is going to be on the Pac-12 time zone there out west. And I think this you want to stay up late Saturday night, this would be an absolute thriller to watch. Definitely, definitely will. All righty. Um, looking at the NFL slate, frankly, there's not a lot of really good games, in my opinion, that you look forward, but we'll kind of run through these quickly. You've got Bengals and Bears at the 1 p.m. kickoff uh, time there for kickoff Eastern, and it's at Chicago. We talked about the Rams kind of dominating uh, the Bears in that game. Justin Fields did not play. I don't really – I don't fully understand it. But at the same time, I kind of understand it of not wanting to play Fields and let him get throttled by that great defense in his first game. So do you think Fields plays? And how do you think that this Bears-Bengals game plays out? Oh, man. I, I, I think 
I don't think Fields is going to play other than like the split role possibly that we saw a little bit of yesterday. Um, but I think that the Bengals looked very good. And I think the Bengals are a much better team than I thought they might have been <laughs> just looking at all the weapons they had on, on the field in week one. So I, I think the Bengals are, are going to win. I think the Bears might get a little bit more of what they, they got this past week in L.A., Pretty wild this week to see um, Jalen Hurts throw the ball to Jalen Waddle and Joe Burrow tossing the ball out there to Jamar Chase. I mean, it is it's just really wild to try and to start seeing this type of stuff um, work its way out. Yeah, that that bomb from Burrow. Or Devontae Smith, I should say, not Jalen Waddle. Yeah, well, Tua was throwing it to Waddle. Yeah, Tua was throwing um, it. To so, there you go. Yeah, it it was cool. I mean, that bomb that. Um, Burrow through to Jamar Chase was pretty sweet. And uh, there, there's been some cool, like, mashup videos from, you know, when they were at LSU to, to now at the Bengals floating around social media. So if you if you see that, give it a watch because it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. It, it kind of meshes in and basically just looks like the same stuff they were doing at LSU in the NFL. It, yeah. It's pretty wild. Um, so, yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, I think that the Bengals can go on the road and win this game. They, they look talented. Joe Burrow looked, looked good coming off his injury. Um, and Jamar Chase f- figured out how to catch a football, which is good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't put a whole lot of stock in the preseason, but I did find it kind of comical that everyone was on him about, you know, look, looking like he was a bust, and then first game, 100-plus yards and a touchdown. Yeah, exactly. He, he wasted no time. Then you look at the Cowboys and Chargers. Uh, this is a 4.30 kick Eastern. I think this is an interesting game. More, not so much where Dallas stacks up, but I think where the Chargers stack up, they went on the road and they got a really good win against a, a solid uh, football team up there in the Washington football team. And, uh, you know, you've got Herbert in his second year and he still looks good. Where do you see this game play? You know, this is, a, this is probably the easiest of the, of the picks that we're going to discuss. I think – I think the Cowboys are going to win this game if they keep the form that they had last week. Um, you know, San Diego didn't look terrible as well. Justin Herbert's probably my favorite young quarterback in the league. I think that guy's immensely talented, but I think the Cowboys are probably a pretty good team this year, as I've mentioned earlier. And um, LA is historically not the most difficult place to play in the NFL, but um, I got the Cowboys. Yeah, I've got Cowboys too. I mean, if you're right, if the Cowboys do they play the same way that they played against um, the Bucks. they're not losing this game because the Cowboys showed that they are a legitimate playoff team that can play with anybody the way they played the Bucks. So if they can continue that, then good on them. And we'll, and we'll see. And her, this would be a really big win early in Herbert's career. And it'll really put the Chargers on a different look here. Okay. And that AFC West, if they can go in and win this, if they can win this game at home. So it's a, it's a big game, I think for both teams to get their season whichever one wins their season outlook gets a whole lot higher yeah I mean definitely definitely because I I think both of these teams are good teams they're going to be you know in the playoff hunt so it's uh it's a good one to get out of the way early in the season build the confidence um next up you've got the Titans are going on the road all the way out to Seattle um big bounce back type of time for the Titans the Seahawks looked fantastic against the Colts uh, Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett were throwing bombs the whole game, just like they always do. Uh, 
didn't they, they look like the exact same team as always a little bit better defense so do you think the titans can rebound and can go out there and get a huge win on the road or do you think the seahawks continue to roll i think the titans are absolutely capable of going out there on the road and winning but i think the seahawks are going to win because just like i said la is not the most difficult place to play seattle is one of the more difficult places to play and um you know, going off of just what I saw week one, that looks like a really good team too. I mean, I'll, there's, in my opinion, there's yet to be a Pete Carroll-led Seahawks team with Russell Wilson that hasn't been a good football team. And, uh, yeah, I, I just – I don't bet against the Seahawks. I just don't. I don't do it. I, I seriously think the Seahawks could be a sleeper type of team this year. Um, Russ always has that ability if he stays healthy. And it, you're right. Seattle is probably the hardest place in the NFL to go play. And with this game being the first one with fans back for them, I've got the Seahawks. I think last year, uh, I think I might choose the Titans in this type of spot, but there's going to be a legitimate home field, uh, home field advantage. And I don't know if the Titans can fix all of their issues in one week that we saw on the field against, uh, against the Cardinals, because frankly, the Seahawks are just about the same type of team. Yeah, I mean, strong front, strong whole defense in general, Seattle. But, you know, I, it's just the thing, the thing with Derrick Henry is you know it's coming. It's just can you stop it? This, Seattle's going to know Tennessee's going to try to run the ball down their throat. It's just can they stop it? And um, I don't think the Titans need to throw out the playbook and revamp something. I just think they need to figure out what didn't work. And for them last week, it was they were just completely losing the line of scrimmage. It's a, that's a scary proposition because that's not really something you can just straight fix in a week. That's not a scheme problem. That's just a pure talent problem. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's where you got on um, on that game. And then last up, what, what should be an absolute thriller on Sunday Night Football will be the Chiefs and the Ravens. We obviously have no clue how the Ravens look um, playing right now as we record. But Chiefs, on uh, slight favorites on the road at Baltimore. What do you see here? I I like the Chiefs, but I think I think this is going to be a very fun game to watch, as it always is when Mahomes and Lamar match up. I think it's going to be an absolute shootout, and um, I think I think I give the nod to the Chiefs just because I think they're a better all around football team, and we still don't know exactly what the Ravens' running game is going to be like given, you know, running back hasn't been the most important position for the Ravens since they got Lamar Jackson because he's uh, he's kind of interchangeable. And um, I think it's going to be a good everybody. game, but I think the Chiefs would probably win. Yeah, they, they lost, lost all their running backs. Just, <laughs> it's with the way they run the ball, it's not like it's different from the Titans where, like, they need Derrick Henry to pull that off. The Ravens just need somebody who's an adequate running back to be able to run that read option. Yeah. So I think Lamar Jackson's your diversion and the running back's just kind of your second option. Somebody who can, if you do hand it off to them, you know that they can break a few tackles and it's going to hold on to the football. That's why they signed a whole bunch of veterans. Yeah. Um, you have Lady Bell there, you have Latavius Murray, Devonta Furman. I, I mean, these are veteran type of guys who've been around the league for a long time and it's exactly what they're seeing right now because they've lost J.K. Dobbins for the season. They've lost Gus Edwards for the season. So I, I'm with you on the Chiefs on the stipulation that Lamar Jackson doesn't come out in this game and look like a legitimate pocket passer. 
because that's the only thing that's the only thing for me. I don't think that he's going to by any stretch of the imagination, but I'll be interested to see how they play tonight against the against the Raiders because they're gonna have troubles running the ball without a lot of running backs, um, unless they just want to do a lot of QB runs. And so if I can see Lamar kind of turn into a pocket passer, I'll look at that team a whole lot, a whole lot more differently. Yeah, I just think that that's wishful thinking. There's no way. He just it can't work to be, be – I mean, what makes him good is his ability to run. I don't have any expectation or any problem with him um, being like a running-style quarterback. I don't – I think it would be foolish if they tried to straight convert him into a pocket passer because he just doesn't have the arm. Um, I think it's comical that they'll, like, defend him till the death about him being, you know, a really talented thrower of the football. And he, he isn't, but he's a good enough thrower of the football to get the job done with also having that dynamic run game, which is what wins them football games. Good enough is, is the right way to put it. Um, the last little tip that I wanted to talk about here on the NFL side before we wrap up the football is uh, there was a there was an absolute trend this year. If you looked at the teams that took the preseason uh, seriously and the teams that didn't play any of their starters and rested everybody so that they didn't get anybody hurt – um, you saw a lot of rust on those teams. I'm not saying that it's the right or wrong way to do it, but there was a definite definite correlation this year. You look at the Titans, you look at the Packers, um, Bills. There was there were some teams that had rested te- uh, their starters and did not look good. It matters. I mean, I really think it matters. Um, Tony Dungy said it on Sunday Night Football that he, a lot of these teams probably need to rethink resting their stars as much as they do, you know, um, most of the big players for Green Bay didn't touch the field. Aaron Rodgers certainly didn't. So it'll be um, it'll be interesting to see if that changes. I doubt it will, honestly, just with how much power players have in organizations now. But uh, I mean, it definitely matters because it, it could take you know two, maybe three weeks of reps and game time reps to get caught up to speed, and um, it's it's like baseball. I mean, if you're, if you're a hitter and you're going in there being picked up on a free agent on the 60th game of the season, you're going to be way behind. Yeah. I mean, that's why you have a spring training. If Freddie Freeman sat all spring training and then walked out there and tried to hit Zach Wheeler game one, I can promise you Freddie Freeman's going to look like an idiot. <laughs> like, it's just how it's going to happen. Like, so these players, like anybody else, they need practice. Golfers aren't Tiger Woods in his prime, you know, or we'll go with the current one. Jordan Spieth is going to sit off for four weeks and not touch a club before the Masters and then try to go out there and, and win it. Like, these guys are going to practice. So, I, I don't get it myself. I understand that you don't want to risk injury, but it's just one of those things where I think you got to do this. You got to look. Yeah, got to go for it. Got to gotta play to win, but it, I think it's just too much in the NFL culture now to, to really start wheeling that back. I think there's been a drastic change in mentality um, for professional athletes as a whole in some cases that I just don't see them wanting to, to risk any kind of fluky injury in a game that doesn't really matter. Yep. Um, so we'll kind of wrap it up on the football side. Unless you got any other finishing uh, topics and points there? I do not. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump to our passion, our team. And that is your Atlanta Braves since we last spoke. Um, we said that this was a really big home nine game homestand for them against a bun- bunch of lower tier talent. And 
they've done roughly what we I said we needed to go six and three or seven and two in my opinion. Um, we took two out of three against the Nationals and two out of three against the Marlins. Now you got the Rockies coming in for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So certainly alive for both of those. Um, not the cleanest wins, not the prettiest wins in the world. Will Smith continues to be a problem, but at the end of the day, the Braves are getting the job done. Their infield continues, their whole team just continues to mash homers night after night after night. Yeah, I mean, they they absolutely do. Duvall hit a couple in that national series, so they, they've done what they've needed to do. I mean, if, if they play, you know, slightly above 500 baseball in, I think that it pretty much all but but writes it up. So um, continue to win the games that they're supposed to win and the series they're supposed to win and, and we'll get that division spot. Um, that being said, I would like to see us carry a little bit more momentum when we get to October, because I think for the Braves to really make a run this year, we're going to have to be scorching hot to do so. Um, just, you know, it, it's no uh, secret. We lost a lot of our talent and, <laughs> And uh, we're going to need what, what guys we do have out there to play really good. But I think after what we did on in the trade deadline, we definitely have the pieces to win. It's going to come down to pitching, um, which the starters have honestly, I've felt pretty good about our starting rotation this season. Gets a little more shaky in the bullpen. I mean, we saw Rich Rodriguez, who's, to be fair, has pitched absolutely phenomenal for us since we, we got him, uh, give up a couple home runs on Saturday against the Marlins. So looking to tight up, tighten up a little bit of that and freaking Will Smith. I don't even know if I can talk about it anymore, but. Yeah, it's hard every single day. I mean, he doesn't get a clean inning. It's never easy for him. I just pray that we have a two or three run lead whenever he comes into the game anymore at this point, because it's one. I can just go ahead and play him as well as for the last for the ninth inning. Um, sure, I have a ninth inning uh, at work. It's the bottom of the ninth inning. Not sure you're gonna get a tenth inning. So uh, it it's tough when he's in there. And I really don't know what else they have at this point. It's kind of too late in the game to really change anything. So you kind of just kind of have to keep riding it. Um the Braves might the Braves have a chance to get three th- or four 30 run homers across the infield. Freeman got 30 yesterday, became the first uh first baseman in the Braves franchise history to have three seasons of 30 home runs, which is pretty incredible. Uh, Riley is well on pace. He, I think he's at 28 or 29 home runs. Ozzy's at 28, I believe now after his tear he's been on and Swanson's at 27. Um, might be one or two off there, but they're all in the high, high twenties. So very good chance to get four 30 run homers, which has never been done before in an infield. It's remarkable what this team's doing. Yeah. I mean, our, our infield, I mean, you could, genuinely make a historic argument that it could be one of the best infields in the history of the game. They're all is, defensive, crazy, uh, talented too. That's what I'm saying. It is the, the most unbelievable part is Austin Riley's probably your worst glove in the infield. Certainly your worst glove in the infield. And he's pretty dang good. And uh, he's improving too. And Dansby. Improving is, a lot. Dansby's on the short list. Albies is on the short list. Freeman might be the best defensive first baseman of it baseball so oh, yeah. when you when you look at at that kind of talent on the defensive side and then oh here's a bat all of you can go and hit 30 home runs and above 250 so it, it's a it's a pretty impressive um infield no doubt but back to that point on will smith i mean i i don't know where else you would have gone this season which is unfortunate because chris martin didn't have his stuff aj mentor didn't really have his stuff 
Jackson. Um, you can try the Luke. That, you can, that the is Luke your Jackson only experiment. other solution. That's your only other solution that you could even try. And at this point, it's way too late in the game to do it. And Luke was serviceable as a closer, but he really wasn't much better than what, what Will Smith is doing now. What, what blows my mind is that, and it's why I think Will Smith shouldn't be a closer, is he seems to lock down better after that first batter gets on base. And it's one of those things where I'd rather see him come in a high leverage situation because he seems to do better when it's a tougher situation for him. And so we said it last week, I think, and I'll continue to say it until it happens. It has to be priority. I think number one outside of re-signing Freddie and getting into an extension uh, is they have to go get a legitimate closer this offseason. Whenever it happens. It's got to be. The only way they're going to win the playoffs, though, is going to continue to mash the ball. And that can carry. It's a lot harder, though, in the playoffs because you start facing the best pitching. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's going to be a tough situation to be in. It's uh, it's just it's hard to watch, really, but we've had this issue for a long time and done nothing with it. It's frustrating, to say the least. Well, they've got a four-and-a-half game lead over Philly, five games over the Mets. The Mets have the Cardinals coming into town Tuesday through Thursday. The, or going to Cardinals, I should say. The Phillies have the Cubs coming to town Tuesday to Thursday. They should probably win two out of three out of that, although they lost three out of four of the weekend inexplicably to the Rockies. Um, <laughs> the Rockies are a historically bad team on the road. The Phillies have shot themselves in the foot. They've been killed by the Diamondbacks and the Rockies in the last month. It's pretty incredible. So we have those teams to thank if we win this division. Thank you, guys. Well, hopefully the Rockies don't continue that. Yeah, no, not whatever no, you would call. Now they need to go back to looking like the normal self. Um, they have five hundred. They've been a five hundred team since the All Star break. So do it. Uh, think of that as you will. Uh, last, last kind of little tidbit before we hop on out of here is the Ryder Cup team was picked this past week. Um, your automatic qualifiers were Murakawa, DJ Bryson, Brooks, JT Cantley. Um, and then your captain's picks were Berger, English, Finau, Sanders, uh, Scotty Scheffler, and Spieth. Just thoughts on the team, thoughts on the captain's picks? This team is sick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, honest to God, I, I was talking about this with one of my buddies earlier. If we can't win this season with nine of the 11 top players in the world, I think, then I just I don't know what to say. I'd be – I'd be shocked. I mean, this is a significantly more talented team than what the Europeans have. Um, it's a much deeper team, not even just top heavy. I mean, you got young guys on there mixed in with guys who have some experience. I think it's just a good dynamic all around. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Obviously, golf's one of those sports that it doesn't really matter what you're ranked. It cannot kind of be anybody, but at, I, I don't know if I would have picked the team any different. Well, um, the Ryder Cup has certainly been one of those things where Europe has proven that they've been better at match play um, than us. So you're right. We have way more talent than they do. Way, way more talent. The real question is going to be if if Brooks plays. Um, He hurt himself during the Tour Championship. Hurt his form pretty good. Uh, I haven't seen him out there. I've seen some promotional stuff with the team out there practicing at Whistling Straits. And I haven't seen Brooks featured in any of the videos. But it's a weird situation because I don't know if he's going to try and play because it's Brooks. I mean, the guy played like six, what, a month after getting knee surgery at, at Augusta. 
because he's that much of a competitor, but is he going to do the same sort of thing with his forearm here, or is he going to let the spot up to somebody else? And if he does, who on earth do we take next? Man, I, I think it's tough. I think Brooks has been a guy who's fought injuries his whole career. So I think in his best interest, he probably shouldn't play if it's even questionable. I mean, truthfully, coming off of his knee, which who knows if that's even actually 100% yet, um, just with how much strain he put on it by actually playing through it all season long when it seemed like he was supposed to be off. Um, I, I don't know. I think if you're looking for the replacement, I would probably say – Kisner is your best bet to replace him, I, I would think. I think Webb, personally, I, I think you're going to take – Webb would be another good one as well. Because I think at this point they need they need that kind of veteran leadership as someone to replace here. They've got the young talent. And I love Kiz, and Kiz is a fantastic match play player. I just don't think this is a good course for Kiz because I think we're going to set this course up to be long – and just the absolute bombers paradise because that's what that's our advantage over Europe is we absolutely mash the ball. Two years ago, or well, three years ago, because it was 2018, Europe set up lay golf national over in France to be an absolute ball striker, iron, gotta keep the ball in the fairway, really short course in tight fairways. And it was against our strengths. I think that we're gonna do and flip it, kind of reverse on them, and we're gonna turn it into a bombers paradise. Something that they can't compete at, and we can't put pins in really easy positions and just make it a birdie fest. And so you would put Webb Simpson over Kisner, who hits the ball like 250? I, I just think that, <laughs> I mean, not that Kiz, not that either one of them hit it long, but I just, I don't see that being the right setup. And I just, I would rather take the experience with, with Webb, but they're really, they're, they're about the same type of person. It's just, you won't, Kiz is regular match play. Um, potential or his record or you want webs kind of webs who's been solid in these kind of team formats and a really good locker room team type of person. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with that. I don't discount the veteran leadership aspect. I mean another guy you could talk about is P. Reed, who a lot of people or who he seemingly thinks got snubbed. I was going to say, he may have shot himself in the foot and how he handled the news on social media, which it's kind of hard to blame it. The guy almost died in the hospital with double pneumonia not that long ago. I don't know if he needs to be out there competing. I, you know, I, I just find this guy interesting. I mean, he just does everything in his power, not even to make himself look like a hard ass, but just to make people hate him. Like he loves to be. Oh yeah. He's a villain. Yeah. If he leans into it, I, he leans into it way more than Bryson does. If Bryson would lean into being a villain, it would work so great. If you could, like, combine the two of them, then you'd have the perfect person. My thing with – I think Bryson and Patrick Reed are the complete opposites. I think Bryson is dislikable just because he's not a social guy. I think he's mm-hmm. in a very uncomfortable situation whenever he's in the media. And so he his, like, weird tweaks and, and some of the stuff he says just, like, comes out of him just not genuinely being confident and comfortable. On the other side, I think Patrick Reed's extremely confident and extremely sociable, and it chooses just to be a jerk. <laughs> You're right. I, I mean – But that, that's my thought. I'm not going to disagree with that. I mean, it looks like Reed chooses to be the kind of the way he is. I think it's just kind of his personality. He just likes being kind of, you know, kind of D-bag mentality almost. Um, he just doesn't mm-hmm. know what you think. So I don't know. We'll. See. I, I want 
no one P read on the team, but it's really hard to deny his his record in these type of American events. I puts it out there. Yes. It's he's a, a very good match play player because he's got a ridiculous short game. So we'll see. Um, just something to keep an eye on here that Ryder Cup's off for another two weeks. Um, the week of the, the 20th, the weekend of the 23rd or next week. So you can we'll see what happens with the news by next week. I'm sure we'll know if Brooks is playing or not and uh, we'll be able to update you on, on whoever that is. And if you guys preview into the Ryder Cup, uh, when we sit down and talk next week and we'll obviously go over all the results and, and see how uh, smart or stupid we looked in our picks this weekend. As always. Alrighty. Well, everyone, we appreciate it. We know we went a little bit long on this one. We hope you appreciate it. A lot of content. Um, we're going to do our best to try and keep cutting this down as we, we start running into more and more stuff happening. But as always, we appreciate you guys listening. Like, rate, view, review, subscribe, share with your friends. We appreciate getting getting new listeners all the time. And uh, as always, we'll leave it out with a uh, Go Braves. Go Braves. Go Braves.